Hard to believe training camp is here already, and the Minnesota Wild are gearing up for yet another exciting season. We break everything down with Kevin Gorg today on Locked on Wild. You're locked on Wild. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Wild. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to yet another edition of Locked on Wild, your daily Minnesota Wild podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked on Wild your first listen each and every day. And just as a reminder, Locked on Wild is free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts. On today's episode, we take a look at the 2022-2023 Minnesota Wild as we gear up for the start of the season with Kevin Gorg of Valley Sports North taking a look at the changes that were made on the Wild roster as well as who will step up to fill some of the offseason departures. My name is Seth Topal, host of Lockdown Wild and guiding you through the offseason. We are, as mentioned, joined by Kevin Gorg. And Kevin, as you mentioned before we hit record, media day. So I had a chance to, uh, to see everybody back in uniform and just kind of get back into the, uh, the swing of things with the season uh, a short time away, uh, what was the buzz like out there? Well, I think the guys were excited. I, I think it's a, a young team that really enjoys being around each other and being at the rink for four or five hours today. I, I definitely had that feel, Seth. These guys are, uh, I think they're they're more than anything motivated to make up for what went wrong last year in the playoffs. They're motivated to get back in that position again. A couple guys mentioned that uh, playoffs are never a foregone conclusion, so we want to make sure we uh, work hard from day one to get back into the playoffs, but then learn from our misgivings. I think there was a lot of conversation about being better on special teams. And I think there's a lot of hope. You know, I think these guys believe in, in the what they've got in that room. They, they know they've got enough talent to be a factor in the Western Conference. Let's start on offense because, you know, that was one of the big points of the offseason was uh, no Kevin Fiala anymore as he was traded to the Los Angeles Kings. But Bill Guerin has talked about it all offseason long in that they're just going to need to have some guys step up to fill that production. One of those guys, of course, Matt Boldy, who had a great rookie campaign for the Wild. Uh, just how poised is he to break out and to potentially be that number two option for this Wild offense? Yeah, it's funny you bring up his name because uh, you know we had a questionnaire that we kind of ran through with the players for some of our sound bites for our TV broadcasts. And when his name came up, and I'm talking veteran players, really good players that have kind of been around the block a few times, uh, everybody said the same thing. His rink vision, his hands, his size are unmatched. And so you saw him for half a year last year. Uh, Billy Guerin in the wild will get him for a full season this year. So when you talk about making up those 30-plus goals that's gone off to Los Angeles and Kevin Fiala, I start with Matt Boldy. I think there are uh, a lot of goals left in that sweater. I think I think he's ready to take another step forward. I think he's going to get a lot of time on the wild power play, which needs to be better. And I think he'll be a big asset in that area. So uh, it sure feels like Matt Boldy is sitting on another big year. One of the other spots is the expected arrival of Marco Rossi, who was in Iowa last year um, after getting, uh, trying to get his legs back under him after COVID-19 and uh, had a really strong season for the Iowa wild expected to be uh, a member of this Minnesota Wild roster this year. 
and uh, a lot of guys, I'm sure, excited to see what he can do here in his rookie season. What do you think the ceiling is for Rossi trying to get his feet wet at the NHL level, but also trying to be a valuable contributor to this offense? Well, Seth, the while they're counting on it, right? I mean, you take a look at the question marks into this training camp, and I think maybe at the top of a lot of lists would be, can not only Marco Rossi make the club, but can he be a top six forward that contributes on a regular basis? That's a big if, and it's a big, big gap from playing in the American League to playing here. Um, he's got great chemistry with the aforementioned Matt Boldy, which is going to help. He's got great hands, which gives him potential to be on one of those power play units. And I think for Marco Rossi, uh, some stability. You know, the health issues off the ice the last couple of years, I think, have hindered some of that. Now he's fully healthy. He's really excited for training camp. He saw a smile on his face today over at Tria Rink. And I think for him, it's, it's going to be handling two things, the speed of play at the National Hockey League and the physical play. Uh, you think of playing in the offensive zone and, and what has made Kirill Kaprizov such an unbelievable player is he's been able to handle the physical rigors in the corners in front of the net. And for Marco Rossi, in, in my eyes, that's still a question mark. Now he's shown signs of it uh, at the pro level, but at the NHL level, it is a completely different spot. And so that to me is one of the biggest questions coming into camp. I think if he has a good camp and he, um, he kind of elevates his play uh, there's a spot somewhere out there with uh, with Matt Boldy uh, where I think the Wild would love to have him and then find the right guy to mix in with them because I think they found something last year with uh, Fiala, Boldy, and Freddie Goudreau. And so if Rossi can, can fill one of those spots, uh, I think it would be a, a natural scoring line for Minnesota to have, and I think it would be a huge feather in the hat for this organization to develop another young player with some big-time upside. We saw – a bunch of career seasons, Ryan Hartman, uh, Marcus Foligno, uh, Matt Zuccarello had uh, a career year as well. Jewel Erickson Eck had one too. And for, I'd say, probably those first three guys, there's been a lot of talk this offseason as to, well, there's no way they can do that again. A- at some point, does it just become kind of what these guys are now? Especially Ryan Hartman's case, he just was never asked to be this type of player, and now... You see him put up 34 goals. Who's to say he can't do it again? When you play be- between players like Kaprizov and, and Matt Zuccarello and you play with the grit and the determination that Ryan Hartman plays with, he's going to get the looks. I mean, the bottom line is you can't defend everybody. And when you play against that line, so much of your defense goes to 97. So much of what you have to do depends on what he can do. And then the way Matt Zuccarello sees the ice, you know, Ryan Hartman is the easy guy to forget. So you make a great point. It won't be easy to duplicate because, you know, he scored in bunches last year, but he's going to get those looks again. And he's always had offensive skill. I think people forget this was a first-round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks back in their heyday when they were hitting home run after home run after home run in the draft. So this guy's always had that potential. Now he's been given a system, a coach, uh, and, and I think players around him that believe in him and it's fit really well. So I think it is something you can duplicate, especially if the other two guys play like they've been playing. I don't see any reason to see uh, Zuccarello or Kaprizov slowing down right now. Final one on the offense. It's expected that Jordan Greenway may not be ready for the start of the season, which obviously hampers the grief line, one of the best defensive lines in hockey. But you look at that fourth line, and they've got guys like Brandon Duhame and Connor Dewar. 
Um, are those guys ready to step up and kind of help give some of that defensive presence at least until the grief line is ready to rock? Yeah, you're going to miss Jordan Greenway. And we talked to him today about the uh, shoulder surgery in the offseason, likely not back until maybe you know, sometime in November uh, would be uh, our best guess as we sit here right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the depth of this team has always been an asset up front. You know, you've always been able to use 10, 12 forwards at your disposal. And Dean Evison's talked about it a lot when he has conversations with us about how the players like Dewar and Duhame can move all over that lineup and get the job done. And when you think of their skill set, you think of maybe a Sam Steele that they brought in towards the end of the offseason from Anaheim. They've got the right guys to play that spot. The bigger question to me, Seth, is who's going to fill that void if you decide to keep Eck and Felino together, is it Freddie Gaudreau or is it a guy like Tyson Jost? Those two guys, to me, both have enough offensive skill where either one of those guys could slot into that line if you're going to have Rossi and Boldy together. So I'll be fascinated to see how that kind of meshes together because there's been an awful lot of conversation from the end of last season now into training camp this year about the skill set that Tyson Jost has, the speed that he plays with, and the fact that he can really adapt on the fly to playing with some high-end talent. So I think there's some untapped potential with number 10. And I think that the, the players we mentioned, the, the, the Dewars, the Duhames, uh, the Steels, are really going to stabilize some of those checking lines early while you are absolutely going to miss Jordan Greenway. I think people really underestimate the value of Jordan Greenway because he's never going to be a 30-goal scorer. He's always going to look like he could be because he's got that size and he does have good hands for a guy uh, that goes 6'6". But really, truthfully, He's at his very best when he's out there with players like Eck and Felino, where he can play physical, run guys down, go to the net, grind away, and and really um, until they get him back, they're going to really be missing that element. We uh, will shift our discussion to the defense because it sounds like Dean Evason might be looking at some interesting line combinations from that decor. So we'll continue our chat with Kevin Gorg of Bally Sports North after this here on Locked on Wilds. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net. They're your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. You can find all the latest football league developments, plus game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's full slate of both NFL and college football games. BetOnline.net is also your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, golf, the NHL, and the NBA. So head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. You can find all that and more at Bet Online, where the game starts. Continuing today's episode of Lockdown Wild, once again, thank you for making Lockdown Wild your first listen each and every day. If you haven't yet, Hit subscribe on YouTube and make sure you follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Joined today by Kevin Gorg of Bally Sports North. And Kevin, let's talk some defense. Uh, Dean Evason has uh, has done a couple of Q&As uh, with Michael Russo here this offseason. And an interesting note in his most recent one, talking about that top four defense for the Minnesota Wilds, about maybe going with Spurgeon and Brodeen, and then Dumba and Middleton to try to give a little bit of a different look. Do you like those line combos? I think they'll be I think they'll be fine. I think they'll change a lot throughout the course of the season. And when you listen to what Dean Everson has to say, it makes sense. When you play 
against the teams. Uh, let's top, start at the top and work our way down like Colorado or Tampa Bay that are speed-based teams to have a pairing like Spurgeon and Brodine that are, I mean, high level skaters and can, can play with speed as their weapon, then that's going to be a terrific top pairing where you can use them, especially on home ice when you have last change to slow down those top end weapons the other teams have. And then on that second shift with Middleton and Dumba, now you've got that, that physical presence, that, that pairing that can really match up uh, with the hits and, and slow things down that way. To me, the key to the whole thing, the glue that's going to keep this thing together, because like with Jordan Greenway, John Merrill, likely a question mark early in this season is Kalen Addison, kind of like Marco Rossi now. Uh, the training wheels need to come off, and this guy needs to be a fixture, and I think he will be. I think, you know, when you have conversations with the teammates of these players, and, and I mentioned earlier what players had to say about Matt Boldy, but everybody to a man, starting with Matt Dumba all the way down, when I asked them about Kalen Addison, the first thing they said every single time is ice water in the veins, unafraid to make a mistake and has skill more than most players we have on that blue line. So you think about the power play and their struggles. I think they've got him slotted into one of those spots. And then you look at that third pairing to start the season with Galagoski. I think very, very good pairing because Galagoski, if you know him is a flatliner, a veteran player that's going to take him under his wing, kind of help him get comfortable. So yeah, I like the way this thing shakes out to start the year. I'll be curious to see how long he waits because Dumba and, and uh, Brodine are such good buddies and Spurgeon and Middleton had something last year. So like a lot of, you know, deep pairings at, at, in September, I think when the rubber meets the road, we'll see how it plays out, but they've got options. And I like that. And I think that uh, Kalen Addison to me, when I go over to watch training camp this week and into next week, one of the things I'll be looking for is how confident he looks, how much they're using him when they start to work on their power play. Uh, because I think this kid has the potential to be 8, 10, 12 goal scorer and maybe take a power play that was in the bottom 15 in the league and make it a top 15 power play. And, it, you know, the quarterback position that he plays on that power play is everything. And I think he's got the, the skill set to really make an impact. I'm glad you brought up Alex Goligoski because I did want to ask. Um, obviously, there was a lot of talk with the extension that he signed, started the season off really well, and it seems like maybe wore down a little bit as the uh, the season progressed. And so filling in for John Merrill at the beginning of the season, even when Merrill comes back, just how important is it to have a guy like that who can spell people up and down the lineup and, and fit into pretty much any line that he's asked to play on? Yeah, it's such a grind. And, you know, I think last year he did get run down a little bit. He's certainly on the back nine of his career. It's been a brilliant career for Alex, and he's such a pro. Uh, when you work with him and, and hang out with him, he's he's the right guy for that spot. And I think if Merrill can get healthy rather quickly, now you've, you've got a chance to rest him here and there and pick your spots because, to me, you're going to want a guy like that down the stretch when the pressure gets ratcheted up because he makes all the right plays. Uh, he's a smart hockey player. He's still got the skills to make – I think really good decisions with the puck, moving the puck out of the zone efficiently, knows where to go without the puck. And, you know, I just think his leadership back there too, uh, with some of the younger eyes that are on him, specifically Kalen Addison, can't be understated. So they know how to manage the minutes. I think they learned a lot last year. And I think it was kind of weird timing when that extension came out. I remember it because we were at the rink and it was right at crunch time at the end of the year last year. And all of a sudden, you know, he's a healthy scratch, but yet they're announcing this two-year extension Wilder are, are, I think, not lost on the fact that this guy can be an asset on and off the ice, and they don't want him to go anywhere. And so I still think that they'll plan his minutes accordingly. 
And if they are healthy on that back end, maybe every four, five, six games, he gets a game up in the press box because I think they want him for the duration. He's that valuable. I don't want to say pressure. Pro- pressure is probably not the right word, but this decor after what happened against the Blues in the playoffs, is there a sense collectively from this group that they need to step up their performance after what happened in that series? Or is it more so just they just need to continue to be those elite level guys that we know they are? I think they they were disappointed. And I think if you talk to these guys, which we did last year at the end of the year, specifically guys like, like Jared Spurgeon and Matt Dumba, who were pretty vocal about not feeling like they played their very best, um, they, they felt it started there. I go back to the group, though. And, you know, it's funny when you travel with the team, the Wild had that 2-1 series lead. And I'll never forget it. We had an off day in St. Louis with an optional skate in the morning where everybody kind of showed up at the rink and got a skate in. It was Kentucky Derby Day. That's how I remember it so well. And they were loosey-goosey. They were, you know, very free-flowing, having a good time. I think at that point, they felt like they had the series in their back pocket. And that's fine. But you have to remember that the team you're playing, even though they're missing two of their top three defensemen, is going to play with some desperation. And I thought in game four, um, rather than coming out there loosey-goosey, that group could have come out there with more of an edge and a swagger, knowing that, hey, if we win this game, we get to go back to St. Paul with a chance to eliminate one of our rivals who's been a nemesis to us for years. And they they did not. They They took their foot off the gas. They let St. Louis up off the mat. They did not play well in game four. And you hate to pinpoint one spot in the series, but I truthfully believe if Minnesota had won that game, that it would have been a different result for the series. And the Wild never recovered. And I think if you talk to players that like the ones I just mentioned, the leadership group, starting with Spurgeon and Dombo, working your way to Felino, uh, they take the most responsibility for that because they believe they set the tone on the bus at the hotel, in the locker room, and they believe maybe that they left some chips on the table that day. So as, as much as you want to point to the on-ice stuff, Seth, which you can clearly get to, I think it started off the ice. And I think it was a big, big-time learning experience for that group. And I think they're hungry to get back to the playoffs and to learn that lesson well and maybe be a, a better team the next time they get in that position to eliminate a team or put that team up against the wall. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Uh, let's finish today's episode talking a little bit about the goaltending. And uh, we'll finish up with a little special teams talk as well as we continue our preview of the 2022-2023 season here on Locked on Wilds after this. Final segment of today's episode of Locked on Wild. Once again, thank you for making Locked on Wild your first listen each and every day. Seth Topal joined by Kevin Gorg of Bally Sports North. Kevin, we've got an interesting goalie tandem. And I say interesting because you've got Marc-Andre Fleury, who is about as known of a commodity as you can have in the NHL world. And you got Philip Gustafson, who is expected to be the backup. And he gets to sit for this entire season and learn from a Hall of Fame goalie to try to kind of find his way in the NHL. I, I don't know if it, get much, if it gets much better than that for a young player. That's the first question I had for him today at media availability, and his eyes got as big as saucers. And- <laughs> You could just feel the excitement. He's a real soft-spoken kid. You know, he's 23 years old, and he's very unassuming. But when I brought up Marc-Andre Fleury, and he got to speak to his excitement level coming into camp to working with this would-be Hall of Famer, he couldn't contain himself. And so to me, that's very exciting. And I think 
you know, I just spent the summer out at Canterbury doing TV work for them. And I bump into wild fans every single day out in the paddock where I do my uh, pre-race analysis. And uh, the biggest question I got is, you know, what, what's the deal with these goalies? So let's just be honest. Let's just sit here day one and say, okay, wild fans, you know, this is not Arizona. This isn't even, you know, the Everglades where the Florida Panthers play. This is the state of hockey. We're not naive to this at Valley Sports North or in the Minnesota Wild. As we sit here right now, the Wild would have had a better goalie tandem if it was Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury. It cannot be argued. We get it. Cam Talbot's a great goalie. He's established. Move on. But what I'll tell you is this. The potential that this has, if this kid, um, now given a chance in Minnesota after kind of really laying in the weeds in Ottawa for a team that doesn't play great team defense, that wasn't going to be a playoff team. So if he's given a chance now to play 25, 30 games with the tutelage of not just Cam Talbot, or excuse me, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, but Freddie Shabbat and this coaching staff, who's to say that by the end of the year, uh, this kid doesn't look like a completely different goalie. And that's what you have to rely on. And the other factor for me is Marc-Andre Fleury came in last year and it was learn on the fly, get to know your teammates. Okay. Oh my God. It's trade deadline. It's the end of the year. It's playoffs. Take, take the, take the reins and go and let's just see what happens. And it didn't work out. So I think it's super easy right now to say, oh, this is not going to be good. We don't know what it's going to be. What we know is this. The Wild have a would-be Hall of Famer that is beloved by his teammates, that wants to play as much as possible. They have an untapped resource who was thought of to be a goaltender of the future in somebody else's organization. He's here now. I think the Wild have the right group around him to help mold him. I think he's going to be given a chance to be a legitimate contributor to this team, which he really wasn't in Ottawa. And I think if you look at the big picture and look at where he's from and think about, huh, where's Wallstead from? There is a method to this madness. Bill Guerin knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm excited to see where this goes this year. I'm even more excited to see what happens with Jesper Wallstead down in Iowa. And I think as a group, this has the potential to be something really special for Minnesota. And I think on day one, they're going to be the biggest question mark, and rightfully so. And I think guys like Marc-Andre Fleury will have a little chip on their shoulder. I think that's probably a good thing for this team. I, I want to hear from you. I've talked about this all off season. It just seems like when you look at the Central Division, there hasn't really been anybody that has separated themselves from the pack. You, you look up and down the list, and teams have had some notable departures. They've had a few additions, free agency or trade. But it just feels like last year where you've got the Colorado Avalanche at the top. And beyond that, everything is pretty much up for grabs. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I knew this would come up today during our conversation. And, I mean, tip your hats to Colorado. It was bittersweet for all of us because as a, as a hockey fan, you know, I think all of us can admit that you want to see great players on that big stage play the way they played. And I, I am a fan of Nathan McKinnon. I can't help myself. I think he's unbelievable. And then you've got, you know, the connections to Minnesota that we certainly have. And you, you think of Eric Johnson on that blue line and, and what a pro he has been. And off the ice, he's a friend of mine. He's a big horse racing guy. And to text with him after that, that was pretty special. And obviously the Kemper thing. I mean, he's always been a, an unbelievable guy off the ice. On the ice, he's had his ups and downs. He got the right spot at the right time. And he's forever going to be a Stanley Cup winner. So, do I love the Avalanche? No, I'm not a big Avalanche fan, but I did enjoy what they brought to the table last year for hockey. They were an unbelievable team, and they're going to be tough. So as you handicap this division, it starts with them. And after that, I think you could pretty much right now 
make a case for any other team to be that second team in the standings. I think the Wild have a great opportunity because the way this team is built, they can beat just about anybody else in this division on a regular basis. And I think they match up with Colorado very well. We never got to see that last year and St. Louis beat us fair and square. So you, you got to move on from that. But I do believe the wild would have given them quite a run because of the way they played during the regular season. The wild have the type of team that can match up with speed-based teams. They always have the teams that give the wild trouble are the heavy teams and St. Louis showed that once again. So I like the way this wild team is built, but they're going to have to earn it. They won nine games last year after they pulled the goalie and went into overtime and came back to win, that's something I don't think you can duplicate. So you're going to have to be a better hockey team in those first 60 minutes, and you're going to have to be better on special teams. And that to me is where the rubber really meets the road. If they want to contend with Colorado, get home ice again and be a playoff factor. And you, just to wrap up, you talk about the special teams and we discussed throughout the episode today, some personnel changes that the wilds can look at making on both of those units. But I think a lot of it stems to just confidence and special teams are, are such that if you give up a power play goal on defense a couple of times in a row, you lose that confidence. And if you're not scoring on the power play, it seems like that stuff just snowballs. Yeah, they were lacking confidence and it started in the, in the faceoff circle. It started on the dot on, on both the power play and the penalty kill. They have to be better uh, in that faceoff circle. They have to have the puck more on the power play, and Dean Everson talked about it in that Q&A that you referenced earlier, Seth, they have got to be better clearing the puck. I, I just think you could count multiple times in every single game, especially down the stretch and in that playoff series, where the Wild had the puck on their tape and could not clear the zone. That's inexcusable. That's easily correctable, and it needs to be rectified. On the power play, they've talked about making some subtle changes. I think Kaylin Addison can give you a whole new fresh look at the top of that umbrella. I think they need to be much more aggressive shooting the puck from the half wall. So when he makes that quick pass and you get that puck on the half wall, you drive to the middle of the rink and you fire that puck. Because if you're going to use big players on the power play, and we saw Mike Marcus Foligno get a look there. We know what Ryan Hartman can do in the trenches. Uh, you've got to get that puck on the net more aggressively. I think they tried to get a little too cute. And I love that they've got players that can be cute. You know, Zuccarello and Kaprizov can be really cute, but they're also – pretty effective when they get the puck and get it to the net and trust their teammates. And I think that's going to be the message from this coaching staff. If we're trying to read the tea leaves right now, they have to be better in, in both power play and penalty kill. And I think that there's still a scab. There's still a wound there from that playoff loss. And I think if you go back and if you're Dean Everson, this coaching staff, I know they have, and I know they will to kind of peel that bandaid off and, and take a look at that scab. It really does start and finish with the power play and penalty kill in that series. So it's something that, the team can grab onto tang you know, tangibly say, okay, if we, if we rectify this, think how good we can be. And so that, as a Wild fan, as you're watching the first month or two unfold before your eyes, I think that is certainly something to track. Well, all in all, it leads to some excitement heading into the start of the season for sure. And so um, we look forward to seeing how things play out in training camp as we gear up for October. Hard to believe it's uh, already almost here. Kevin, Thank you for the time, as always. Uh, looking forward to the start of this season. Listeners, make sure you're following Kevin for uh, wild thoughts throughout uh, every day, all the time. Uh, so make sure to follow him on Twitter. And uh, make sure to follow us at Lockdown Wild so you don't miss out on anything wild-related leading up to the season. We've got you covered with new episodes 
every Monday through Friday as part of the Locked On Podcast Network.